morning. Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 27, verses 1 to 14. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me at his sacred tent. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes or false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lori. So, uh, is there still any interest in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Anyone? What about the Raptors, huh? Be honest. How many of you watched a basketball game for the first time this past week? I knew it. Bunch of bandwagon fans, right? Just jump in. At, uh, uh, that's right. Just it's something exciting is happening, and it's cool. It's kind of Canada's team. I know for me, actually, I kind of have to pinch my nose a little bit and, and cheer for Toronto. But uh, um, did you, that was funny. Well, this morning we, uh, we wrap up our mini-sermon series that we've called Exploring Questions in the Psalms. And uh, interesting, just as a little FYI, you may be interested in this, that uh, next week we start a new sermon series that will take us through the entire summer, 12 weeks, as we study the life of Joseph. A series of studies from Genesis chapter 37 to pretty much the end of Genesis and chapter 50 is called Found Faithful. And our hope and our prayer is that uh, you might treat that series like your favorite TV series and you don't want to miss a single episode. And uh, if you do go away, you might set the PVR and watch it on demand later on. And so just uh, again, there as an FYI, you can listen to any of the sermons that you might miss online as well. And so we hope to, to uh, journey through the summer and have this great study on the life of Joseph. So getting back to this morning, we've been exploring questions in the Psalms. We've been saying all along that questions are good because questions invite discovery and learning. And that one thing that we've learned from the psalmist is that it is okay to question God. It's okay to, to wrestle with our thoughts and our experiences and then to try to make sense of them in the light and in the view of who God is. 
And so we've looked at four psalms so far. So far, Psalm 139, we ask the question, where can I flee from your presence? And the answer, of course, is nowhere. Psalm 8, who are we that you are mindful of us? Psalm 119, how can we keep our path straight? And then last week, Psalm 13, how long, Lord? And we discovered there that that our condition and and our complaints against God are very similar to those of David's and that we should, like David did, cry out to God and ask for his help. Prayer then changes our perspective. And often when we pray, our circumstances don't immediately change, but we do. And we can then choose to trust, to, to rejoice, and to sing in spite of our life circumstances. And the key, we said, was just to develop some good spiritual habits or some practices. And so this morning, we're going to explore Psalm 27 and ask with David, Whom shall I fear? The follow-up question uh, in the latter half of verse 1 is almost exactly the same. It says, Of whom shall I be afraid? So whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And again, the rhetorical questions. There is no expected answer because the answer is, We should not be afraid of anyone or anything. And I'll explain that as we go. And yet, fear is a problem for many. There are so many documented phobias. If you ever want to have fun, just Google phobias. Or even better, um, interesting phobias. And uh, see all of the things that has, have a label for the things that we can be afraid of. Because we can be pretty much afraid of anything and everything. And when we're fearful if that's kind of our primary emotion, then we, that can be almost debilitating and crushing in our lives in some ways. It can be manipulative and, 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 and uh, exploitive. Fear can drive us under the covers at night and keep us there in the morning if we let it. We might have a fear of failure, a fear of not being good enough, a fear of letting go of control, fear of being alone, or fear of abandonment, fear of discomfort. Fear of disaster or terrorist attack. And probably one of the biggest fears that's universal to mankind is just a fear of death. And perhaps there was a legitimate threat one day, but now that threat of some impending doom is actually gone. But somehow the fear still remains. So how can we then so confidently declare as David did, whom shall I fear of, whom shall I be afraid, and we say no one, How can we be so confident? Well, Psalm 23 offers us a strategy. So how do we face the battles and challenges of life? Here's a quick outline, and then we'll go through these. David, first of all, expresses his confidence in God. He then expresses his passion for God, and then expresses his willingness to wait on God. And so first, let's look at David's confidence in God, and it's verses 1 through through 6. So beginning now in verse 2, David writes about his enemies. He says this about his enemies. He says, When the wicked advance against me to devour me or to slander me, or some translations, though an army besiege me, though war break out against me. And so in just these few verses here, he he paints a picture of different types of enemies and their actions without, in fact, describing any of the specifics. Similar to Psalm 13 that we looked at last week, where we are given no details about the situation that was causing uh, David such despair. 
Here now he just describes his situation. He says the wicked, they were coming against him, or evil men were bringing up all sorts of accusations and and making slanderous comments about him and his character. They were intending, in in essence, he says, to devour me. They 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 were just trying to eat me up and chew me up and spit me out with all of their words. He goes on, he says, you know, there's literally an army camped outside my door because it may besiege me. And then he says there's even a real possibility of of actual warfare. And so from David's perspective, things were not looking so good. He's facing all sorts of battles and conflicts and challenges in his life. But the focus here is actually not on his enemies or his adversaries. His focus, in fact, is on his confidence in God. He's confident that God will protect him in the face of his enemies. And so after each description of his enemies, he actually expresses his perspective of confidence. So when it says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, he says, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, he goes, my heart will not fear. Even though they're camped out around me, I'm not going to fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. And so David is expecting that there's going to be this vindication, right? His enemies will be, in fact, the ones who will stumble and fall. Calamity is going to come upon them, not on him. And even though he is surrounded by an army, he's not going to fear. And even if actual warfare comes, then, even then, he will be confident. And he started out in verse 1 by asking then those questions that we've looked at already. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? And so the answer is clear, no one. But it's because of his confidence in God. Like, how could he be so confident? What was it that allowed him to express his confidence in God so boldly? Well, simply put, it was because of what he knew to be true about God. That's where his confidence came from. What he knew in his head, he was able to then bring to bear on his heart. And so he knew, because what he knew about God was what allowed him to be so confident in God. And so he says this, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Then of whom should I be afraid? And so the Lord was to the David at least these three things. He says, he was my light, my light, excuse me. Light was considered a source of guidance and protection. Just consider these verses. Psalm 43, verse 3 says, uh, the psalmist writes this there. He says, send me your light and your faithful care, Let them lead me, let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. And then just one chapter later, chapter 44, and again verse 3, it was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. So even here you see the sense of, of, of guidance and protection because of the light of God. And so David was able to say, you're my light. You're my light. And light was also considered a symbol of well-being. Just a couple more verses. Psalm 4 and verse 6. <clears throat> Many, Lord, he says, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? In other words, let the light of your face shine on us, he says. 
And then in Psalm 97, verse 11, light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. And so David was confident in God, and therefore we can be confident to God because he is also our light. We don't have to be afraid of the darkness, right? We know the contrast between light and dark. He also goes on to say that he was my salvation. And so God, or the Lord, was David's deliverer. He comes to rescue us, and he guarantees our welfare. He is the one that allows us then a way of escape. He's the deliverer. That's what my salvation means. He also goes on to say he's the stronghold of my life. And here when we refer to a stronghold, what is a stronghold? Not a lot of times we look at strongholds in our lives as a negative thing, right? That these sins have a stronghold in our life. But here David is talking about, he says, you know, God is the stronghold of my life, in fact. And what he's doing is he's referring to the power of God. David sees all of his enemies. He's fully aware of what is going on around him, but he has confidence that he has the power of God behind him and that God is, in fact, a refuge that he can take shelter in. And so David is confident in the face of of all of his enemies because he knows who God is. And because he knows who God is, David is then passionate for God's presence. He wants to know him more. He wants to know him better. He wants to know him more intimately. So he's confident in God's power, but his real desire is, in fact, God's presence. Look at verse 4 if you're following along in your Bibles. He says this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At His sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord." And so in these verses, David makes it clear that the passion of his life was to dwell in God's presence. And he uses four different words to describe this presence. He uses the word house, temple, dwelling, and sacred tent. And the location then he is basically implying that the presence of God is there. That wherever God would choose to reveal himself, that's where David wants to be. And David now feels so safe and secure. He says, and he uses this great picture, and you have to almost imagine this scene where he says that even if God sets him high up on a rock and and all of his enemies surround him below, and so I kind of had this picture of this jutting rock, and, and there is David. That's where God has placed him, and all of his enemies are all around. And what's he doing up on that rock? He's not fretting. He's not fearful. He's worshiping joyfully, and he's shouting, and he's singing, and he says, I make music to the Lord, because I know they're down there, and they're not going to touch me. That's confidence, friends. And it's a confidence that he was protected because his confidence is rooted in who God is, and ultimately his power and his presence, because that is the one thing that David so desperately desired. The one thing. 
Friends, there's so much more I could say about these verses because they're rich. There's wonderful pictures and metaphors throughout here. But this phrase, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, in verse 4, it stands out to me, and I think it's so insightful. Basically saying, this is my one desire. This is my one desire, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And so when we think of the word gazing, we have to think about it. It's not just kind of this one-time, quick little glimpse, but it's a steady, sustained focus. You may remember the course, and this came to me um, uh, while I was, was thinking through this. And what does it mean to gaze on the Lord? And there's this, an older course that just says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know the course? Look full into his wonderful face. I mean, what are we saying about? We're saying, turn your eyes to Jesus. Take your eyes off on all the other circumstances, the things you're challenged, but focus on Jesus. And when we focus on Jesus, we look full in his wonderful face. And what happens? It says, and the things of earth will go strangely dim. Why? Because in the light of his glory and grace, it just fades into the background. And so when Jesus becomes the focus of our lives, we can have confidence that he walks with us, that he walks beside us. Can you identify any enemies in your life? That's a really broad term, and intentionally so. David doesn't give us specifics, and I don't think he needs to, but when we think about the things that challenge us, the things that sort of come against us, the conflicts we face, the battles we face in life, they're enemies. Any fears? So how then can we learn from David and his approach? How can we be protected from our enemies? Well, really in exactly the same way. By knowing who God is first and foremost, that He too is our light, that He guides us through life, He is our salvation in that He delivers us, He is our stronghold in that He protects us. If we know that God is on our side, who can be against us? And so if we just know who we are in Christ... We are a child of God, we sang about this morning. If we know that with confidence and assurance, then we're protected by our Heavenly Father. Right? His angel armies. Those aren't just words we sing. They're an expression of the reality of our lives as we live them out. We can be protected by not only knowing who God is, but by making Him our passion. You know, God truly is all we need. And I know that sounds so cliche and so simple to say, but it really is true. The problem is, is so often we approach our relationship with God and and we treat God like a little genie in a bottle. And when we need something right now, we just rub rub the bottle a little bit. We get three wishes and we want to make sure that we, we make good use of those wishes. But that's not dwelling with God. That's not gazing on His beauty. You see, a relationship is never about what we can get from it. 
So, so this isn't uh, about prayer in the way that we might know it. It's not about coming to God with our long list of needs and probably some wants to. I mean, there is a place for that. He invites us to come and cast all of our cares on him. But prayer can't only be that. Prayer always has to start with God. It has to start with praise and adoration and then simply enjoying God for who he is. But before we ever get to any of our needs... To just say, God, I thank you that I am a child of yours. I thank you that you care for me. I thank you that in the past you have walked with me. I thank you in the past. I remember the time when you did this. And and we, we praise God and we thank God. And that is our posture first. Not that we come to him and say, hey, give me all of this and meet all my needs. And, and, and me, 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 me. No. It starts with God. And typically, when we think about fears, our, our fears come from thinking that we're going to lose something that we love, something that is near and dear to our hearts, and the things that, that bring us joy. But really, if our heart's desire is to delight in God, to gaze on His beauty, then when we contemplate losing some of these earthly joys, we can do that without fear. It doesn't really matter. And yet we're afraid of so many things. You know, our fears, though, they do serve a a useful purpose in some cases, and in some cases also an important purpose that they show us, in many ways, where we have actually located our heart's treasure. Because when we're afraid, and here's, here's a little exercise, when we're afraid, follow the pathway of that fear back into our hearts, And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that we will then discover the things that we love more than God. So if you fear losing your job, or you fear losing your financial security, or you fear losing your health, it comes down to the fact that we love all of those things then more than God. But if God is the greatest desire of our hearts and we know that we can't lose Him, we can face all of the fears with confidence. He's got this. He's got our back. So whom shall we be afraid of? Whom shall we fear? This idea of God being our light, really, in the New Testament, we know that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus came and they said, you know, the people walking in darkness have what? Seen a great light. Jesus was the light. And so he comes himself and he says, I am the light. And we know that he's our salvation. There's no other name by which we can be saved. As we sung this morning, your name, Jesus, your name is a strong tower. We run into it. We find refuge there. Is this true of our hearts where Jesus really is that one thing that we desire most in life? The Apostle Paul himself said, you know, that my greatest desire is that I may know him. And this one thing I do, I'm going to press on. And the Apostle Paul knew this confidence in the Lord and he wrote about it in Romans 8. He gives this list of the trials and tribulations and troubles that he was facing, the temptations he was dealing with, all of what we might say are his enemies. And then he concludes with these 
powerful words in verses 37 through 39. He says, no. No, none of of this is going to separate us because he says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. On our own strength? No, he says, through him who loved us. For I am convinced, he says, I am convinced. Here's the confidence that Paul has in who Jesus is and what he has done. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? That's David's confidence in God. David's passion for God in verses 7 through 12. He continues to pray. He asks God, in essence, not to turn him over to his enemies. And so here's the interesting thing now. The confidence of verses 1 to 6, they, they don't somehow mysteriously eliminate all of the trouble from his life. Right? We have real enemies. So I'm not making light of any of those. We have struggles. We have challenges. But we always need to live in the reality of life without denying that reality. And sometimes we know life can be ugly, it can be tragic, and it can be hard. And we shouldn't keep quiet about that reality. And so having a confidence in God doesn't somehow change that reality. So listen to how David prays. He says this. He says, Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. You picture, you hear the change in tone almost? He goes from just being so confident in God to crying out to God and says, don't turn me over to them. And he, he expresses here, there's eight imperatives in these few verses. He, first of all, he says, hear, hear my voice, God. Be merciful. Answer me. Do not hide. Do not turn. Teach me. Lead me. Do not turn me over. That is a great prayer list. We should write it in our Bibles and just pray, God, hear my voice. Be merciful to me. God, answer me. Do not hide your face from me. We talked a little bit more about that last week. Do not turn away from me. I mean, that just felt like total rejection if it happened. Teach me. Lead me. And the key really is verse 8, I think, when he says that it is his heart that's telling him to seek God's face. Seeking God's face. So, so vital, right? We already saw this, that this was his desire, his passion in verse 4 when he talked about dwelling and to gaze And it's obvious that David has this desire for significant intimacy with God. He can't even imagine what it would be like if God hid his face. He can't even imagine what it would feel like if God somehow rejected him. So he just says, don't hide your face from me. You see, David's sincere desire is to know God, to learn about him, to be taught by him, to in fact walk with him. 
And so he prays in verse 11. He says, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. And this prayer was a common prayer for teaching and leading. Psalm 86, verse 11, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Psalm 119, verse 12, he says, praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Psalm 143, verse 10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. And so David has this passionate prayer here where he just acknowledges again his desire to seek God's face. And in the context of that intimate relationship, that God would teach David what it meant to follow him, to walk with him. And there's simply no relationship like it. We have a a relationship with our fathers and mothers, he talks about in verse 10. But he acknowledges, listen, even they, they're human, they're sinful, they make mistakes. They might even let you down and forsake you. But in contrast to our own parents, he says, God will never forsake you. He will never leave us. Our vision, we've talked a lot about our, our mission at TCC is just kind of how, we're, how we walk out our faith. And it's about knowing God, about walking with Jesus and sharing Jesus. But when we talk about our vision, it's a bigger picture where we step back and we just say, this is, this is our desire. It's, there's not a lot that we could do about it, but we're going to pray into it. And we hope that as we do our mission well, that maybe effectively the vision might be accomplished as well. And it's simply this, to see everyone at TCC walking passionately with Jesus in order to joyfully serve others. It's really restating the great commandment where we talk about that we love God with all our heart and all our mind and all of our soul. That's this passion for Jesus. And we love others and we love them to the point that we will think beyond ourselves and we will serve them. We put others ahead of our own things. And so the question in all of this is simply this, is is Jesus our one thing? If Jesus is the center of our life, what does that look like? And so oftentimes we, 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 we prioritize the, the big pieces in our lives and we say things like, you know, God is my number one priority. And then my family is number two. You know, or my, my spouse is number two and my kids are number three and my work is number four. And, and, and then when we list things in priority like that, we start to think, well, man, we're spending an inordinate amount of time at work. So how can... God really be my number one priority. And I think it's the the, the better way of looking at our life with Christ is that he truly is the center of our lives. And so those of you who have been going, why is there a wheel, a bike tire up at the front? But I'm just using it to illustrate something, okay? Very simply put, the hub of this wheel, if if we imagine that as Jesus being the center of our lives, right? And rather than there being a priority order, all of these spokes are the different aspects of our lives. And those of you who are familiar with bikes know that uh, to make a wheel go straight or crooked, you can put it in a, in a little apparatus, you can spin it, and if it stays straight, everything's good. But if it's wobbling, you know why, it, why it's wobbling? Because one of the spokes is tighter and more out of balance than all of the other ones. When you think about our lives like that, 
Isn't it, isn't, it, isn't it easy then to see that if we put Jesus at the center, great, we start there, but then we put an overemphasis on our work and we just crank that a little tighter and a little tighter and a little tighter, what happens? Our lives get out of balance. Is Jesus the center of our lives? That's the question. Is he the one thing? We have a resource that's at the back table there. It's just simply called God in my everything. And um, they're just $10 if, if you, if you want to explore this further. And the subtitle is How an Ancient Rhythm Helps Busy People Enjoy God. Right? Because the number one thing that wars against our relationship with God is busyness. And if we're going to make room for life, if we're going to make room for living out our faith where we truly know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and share Jesus, we've got to get our lives in balance. And that book will help you think through how, how is Jesus the center and how is God part of my everything? And so I just recommend that to you. So let's wrap this up with looking at this last thing. David's then willingness to wait on God. So David had confidence in God. David expressed his passion for God. And then he closes in these last two verses with a willingness to wait on God. And so he begins in Psalm 27 by expressing his confidence in God, expresses his passion. Now he concludes by repeating his confidence in God and vows to wait expectantly for him. He says this, verse 13, I remain confident of this, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And so David here, he returns to a deep trust and is confident that he will see God's goodness. But in the meantime, he is content to wait. He expresses this trust so clearly when he states, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. And so as the psalm comes to a close, David is drawing us into that relationship as well. He wants us to have confidence in God. He wants us to trust this this relationship as well. And so he gives us four imperatives. He says, wait, which is the hardest thing of all, right? Nobody, Nobody likes to wait. And we talked a little bit about this last week when we asked the question, how long, Lord? And we basically are saying, how long do we have to wait? Because we don't like to wait. And yet, part of our relationship with God is just living this out and just saying, I wait. And he says, be strong. This is being strong in God, not in ourselves. It's not about putting up a, you know, stiff upper lip and just forging through life. But it's about recognizing we can have confidence in the strength of God. He says, take heart, right? There's a sense of contentment that comes when we we just wait in contentment. And then he closes in the NIV with wait, but the word really there should be hope. Ultimately, that's where our hope lies. Man, those are good words, aren't they? You may not like to wait, but be strong, take heart, and hope. And when we feel like we're waiting forever, these words, I hope they encourage our hearts, right? Be strong, take heart, wait. And as we wait, we remember our confidence in God, We remember our passion for God. And when our confidence is based on what we know about God that is true, because these things are true, we're afraid of nothing. And so we're reminded this morning of something very important in life. 
Because in the living of life and the walking out of our faith, we should always start with God and then face the problems of life. It should not be the other way around, and yet it so often is, right? We encounter a problem in life and we turn to God. And the focus here really is, no, grow in your understanding, your passion, your relationship with God, and because you're grounded and rooted there and you have your confidence there, when all of the troubles of, of, of the world come, we can then stand strong because God stands with us. We encounter troubles, and then we turn to God. Now, that may seem like a very simple nuance, but I think it's a really important one. Because if Jesus really is our everything, then we have the confidence to face anything. And that's when we can say, whom shall I fear? Nothing. No one. Now, we don't always get this right, do we? Because sometimes we will be overwhelmed and frustrated with life, and then something inside us says, why not turn to God? I think God himself there is is just prompting us. He's stirring us. He's inviting us back into this. And he says, come seek my face. And that's why the the invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 is such a wonderful invitation. He says, come to me, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So do you feel defeated or frightened or fearful of life for some reason this morning? Then Jesus is who you need. And again, I know that sounds cliche, so I don't want you to misunderstand that. This is not to say that the moment that you give your life to Jesus, that all of your problems and all of your fears are going to be over, and you're never ever going to have any problems going forward. It's just not true. I know that doesn't make it sound very appealing, but it's not. In fact, it might even be harder. Jesus doesn't promise an easy time. So let's bring this home and make this personal and real and apply what we've learned to our life. Just two questions for you to think about this morning. Do you know Jesus personally? And secondly, is Jesus your one thing? I've referred to those a couple times already. But do you know Jesus personally? Have you come to a saving faith in Jesus? That when we sang the song this morning, I am a child of God, if you stood there and went, I don't know what that means, I'm not sure, then we would love to talk and pray with you and help you discover what does that mean to be considered a child of God. Just come at the close of the service and we can talk about that. But it really is about putting your faith and your trust in Jesus for your salvation. That he will deliver you and that he will keep you safe. And those of us who have put our faith in Jesus and we want to walk with him passionately, can we truly say that Jesus is our one thing? Because we've discovered the key to having confidence in God is knowing Him and spending time in His presence. So how do we, as David said, just seek God's face? And when we do that consistently, I believe that we then grow in our confidence in God because we we get to know Him through spending time with Him, spending time in His Word. And as we grow in our confidence, our passion for God will also grow. And you come to the realization that nothing really matters ultimately in life except our relationship to God. That's the bottom line, friends. That's the most important thing in our lives. Seek first, right? Matthew, the, the, in Matthew, right? Seek first 
his kingdom and his righteousness. And then everything else falls into place. Are you seeking God's face? Make him your one desire. Let's pray together. Father, there's so much in this psalm. I was overwhelmed just trying to sort my way through it and trace a line through these verses. and, And yet just to be reminded that David had this total confidence in who you were, and that just brought joy to his life. Father, I just have this sense that that when we have confidence in who you are and who we are in relationship to you, that we too will have our fear replaced by joy and confidence and certainty and assurance and hope. All of these good things. So, Father, I pray that as we heard your word this morning, that we would go on a journey of discovery on our own time and in our own way, maybe with a group of friends, and just say, you know what, I I do. I don't want to just show up to church once a week on Sunday and then go throughout the rest of the week like it didn't matter. But that I actually want to live out this faith and to walk daily with you in intimacy like David did, that we would know that intimacy. Oh God, do that in my heart. Do that in all of our hearts. That we would be a people who are passionately walking with Jesus. And that it is out of the overflow of our relationship with you that we can then go on to serve others because we want to love them well. And so, Father, we thank you for loving us, for sending your Son to die for us so that we might have hope and that we might have confidence because he is our light. He is our salvation. He is our stronghold. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.